contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. This edition will delve deeper, as we have before, into the U.S. women's national soccer team, the Darlings of America right now. In terms of equal pay, and we'll get into it with an expert on the academic side that I know so well. First of all, we're presented, as always, by betonline.ag. They're your online sportsbook experts. As you know, the exclusive partner of the Podcast One Sportsnet, of which this pod is part of. Use that promo code PODCAST1. Get that 50% sign-up bonus today. Betonline.ag. Let's get right to it. The talk of the nation are these women that have won the World Cup against Netherlands last weekend. What a what a flow of emotion that has gone towards these women and the aftermath with their outspokenness, with their um, appeal in so many ways, and maybe some disappeal to some in, in their outspokenness. And we'll talk about specifics with Megan and others as we get into this. I thought, you know, after having Jeffrey Kessler talking about the lawsuit... I thought I'd talk to someone that sort of sees the big picture, and there was no better person than I could think of, as I'll get into in a minute, um, the head of the Ann Welsh McNulty Institute for Women's Leadership at the school where I work, a colleague of mine at Villanova University, Terry Boyer, is going to be my guest. And we'll dive into all things women's soccer and equal pay and gender equity from a 30,000-foot point of view. So without further ado, the head of the Ann Welsh McNulty Institute for Women's Leadership at Villanova University, my friend Terry Boyer. We're all still in the glow of the U.S. women's team winning the World Cup. So exciting. And we're recording this on Wednesday, the day they had their parade in the Canyon of Heroes in New York. It's been such a wild ride for the women's team. But in the backdrop, of course, is the equal pay issue. I thought of who to bring on and talk about it. And I could think of no one better than a colleague of mine at Villanova. For those of you who don't know, Villanova being my day job, running the Sports Law Center there. Also running a center there is Terry Boyer. Terry runs the Ann Walsh McNulty Institute for Women's Leadership at Villanova as an expert on these issues. I'm so happy to have her. Terry, welcome to the Business and Sports Podcast. Thanks. I'm excited to be here, Andrew. Always good to be with you. You and I were together on a Me Too panel with that was very heartfelt, featured one of the abused victims of Larry Nasser a couple of years ago when I hosted. I was so happy to have you there. And, you know, it's just interesting that uh, the women's issues have trickled into my area, which is sports. And just sort of before we get to the U.S. women's team specifically, sort of your feeling on where we are with gender issues specifically in the area of sports. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up, that it's trickled into athletics and sports. And I think it's always been there for women. Um, women athletes yeah. have, since their entry onto the, the national stage, if you will, have always been ones to push the envelope around gender bias. And they've really taken a leadership role. I think now that you're seeing more teams like the U.S. Women's National Team taking that international stage, they're now bring, being more obvious about their advocacy for all women. 
Yeah, it's really like it, like you said, it does seem to be that there's been advocacy in bits and pieces. You know, as we're talking now, another big, big sport events going on in Wimbledon. And we know there's equal prize money with advocates that have included the top of the game, people like Serena Williams. So you're right. It's this is not a new issue, but it just seems to come to the forefront when you have an issue like what's been happening in soccer. Right. I think that as we think about women athletes and where we are now, I'm, I'm 45. And um, so I was uh, a year old or so when uh, Title IX was passed. It's now 47 years old. And um, we have definitely seen marked um, development of women athletes and their prominence as a direct result of that public policy. But similar to some of the arguments that are going on around the equal pay issue, um, when Title IX was first passed, we didn't see uh, a lot of, you saw a lot of backlash from people who were saying, hey, you know, we don't need to do this. There's not a huge uh, desire for girls and women to play sports. And um, that's definitely been proved wrong. But I see some of the same marketing comments uh, come into play or the market driving um, the equal or the pay disparities come into play now. And I, I think that's a really interesting um, thing to look at in terms of public policy and comparison, where now we're seeing people pushing for equal pay um, with, you know, pushing back against that argument that the market can't sustain it or that it's not there to uh, really back up their claims for it when um, we know now that you're seeing a lot more of that market there. You're seeing a lot more interest in women's soccer, in um, tennis players, and that sort of thing. So it's, re it's really interesting to see how that evolution of two different public policies that are related are coming into play. Yeah, you know, I was going to wait to get into it, but I think since you brought it up, let's just segue right there. And for those just joining in, it's Terry Boyer, the head of the Ann Walsh McNulty Institute for Women's Leadership at Villanova University. The pushback, as you mentioned, has come with all the glowing uh, love about the U.S. team right now, the women's team. The pushback has really been on the revenue side. People saying, well, men's soccer and men's FIFA World Cup generates so much more revenue. It only stands to reason that the men's team should make more even though they're less successful, because in a much more revenue-generated product, the teams involved make more. Your answer to that, your response to that. Well, that's starting to change for sure. Um, now, it depends on how you look at the way the revenue comes in um, to the U.S. Soccer Federation and FIFA, um, yes, certainly globally, the men's uh, teams generate more revenue, but on the U.S. side, particularly in this last year um, and the run-up to the World Cup, you're seeing a greater push on that. And everybody's citing the Nike best-selling women's soccer shirt as the example there, but I think it's also showing that the more exposure we get to women athletes, the greater the interest is going to be for um, driving market revenue. And I think you're seeing a sea change there that's starting to happen. And it, until it happens, though, I guess, again, I'm sort of playing the devil's advocate, though. Are we... For sure. I know. <laughs> are we <laughs> too caught up 
in the success. And here's my devil's advocate argument. I don't know if we as U.S. US, US fans are fans of women's soccer. We are fans of the U.S. women's national team in the World Cup. But we're not, I I think it's realistic to say, there's not going to be an upswell of support of women's soccer that's going to last. So I guess the question becomes, in a month, two months, five months, a year, are we going to look back and say, yeah, I get it. You know, women's women's players shouldn't make what they make men's make, but for the unique circumstance of that team. I guess I'm not really asking a question there. I'm just starting to figure out what's the reality here beyond the honeymoon phase we are in right now. Right. And I think that gets at the heart of a lot of equal pay issues, but particularly in athletics. What's fair? Yeah. What's fair and what's right versus is it simply something that's driven by market revenues? Um, you know, at, and I think that uh, Jeffrey Kessler and others would argue that the U.S. Soccer Federation has a right, particularly as, a, as an association like that, to pay its players fairly um, versus based so- solely on market revenue. And that's, that's a real um, debate that comes into play in a lot of places, not just in athletics, you see it in entertainment as well, where male actors are paid significantly higher than their female counterparts, the idea being they supposedly draw bigger box office, mm-hmm. et cetera. But then the argument comes into play, and this is the law aspect and the public policy aspect, what's fair, what is right, what is just here? Right, And that's where their, you know, the women's soccer team has definitely picked up really well in their rhetoric on this equal play, equal pay, right? So we're doing the same job. We should be being paid the same from a justice and fairness perspective. That's a really great point. And you bring in Kessler, who was an interesting part of it that seems obvious, but you never think of it. We only think of wages and, and what the money is. But He's he really talked about the totality, the conditions, the hotels, the plane rides, the locker rooms, the fields. And again, that's what the sort of the fairness issue is. And uh, as I say that, I know I'm going to hear pushback again. Like people say, well, again, the revenues don't support whatever the travel the men's have, whatever the level of hotel the men have, whatever the level of locker room the men have, or physios or trainers. So again, I guess I'm kind of throwing it all out there. Where do you come out on this? Right. And I think, too, that in, as we explore that further, and I think we're, we're at the beginning of that discussion, you know, as much as you'd like to say, bringing home their fourth World Cup, it's the end, they're going to they're gonna have every argument they need to win this case. I don't think we're there <laughs> in terms of yeah. a slam dunk. Um, we're certainly there in terms of them proving performance. But this argument on pay and wages and compensation is really complex. And that is something that people that have worked on pay equity issues know from the start, that it's not as simple as apples to apples in comparison here. You don't even have players with the same sort of compensation structures, right? And when we're looking at the women versus the men, but at the same time, what is the full aspect of that? And how do we even make that comparison when they're two different things and then tie it back to revenue? And is that the right equation? And I think 
That's the fundamental question that we should be asking right now. Is that the right equation? Is that the fair and just equation, especially when we consider the laws that are out there around um, gender bias and discrimination? I think that's well said. And, you know, you mentioned another colleague of ours on the threads on Twitter, and I, I bring that up because social media is uh, obviously in love with this team, right? So it's, it's <laughs> that's uh, true. I mean, I think Megan's got uh, probably Megan Rapino's probably got several uh, job offers for anchors somewhere coming in the wings <laughs> once she retires. <laughs> yeah, and again, there's a perfect segue. I was going to ask about her, and I I think you may be right. I think it's Rapino. I think one way or the other, okay. I'm getting it wrong, <laughs> but let's say Rapino. Um, mm-hmm. your impressions of her as a spokesman for the team, as a leader and her, her um, uh, what's the word outspoken, certainly comments about the president, about the white house, whether that's doing good for the team, doing bad for the team indifferent, uh, making her somewhat of a, I guess I'm wondering if she makes her a little bit apart apart from the team. (laughs) Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, is she a lightning rod or, um, right. Yeah. I, I, you know, anytime somebody takes a strong position and uses their public role to take a, um, a side on an argument that isn't something that everybody's excited about, there's definitely a risk there. And um, she's put herself out there 100% behind this issue. And she's brought her teammates along. Um, They have definitely stood for the fact that they are not just there as arguing for the U.S. Women's National Team. They are out there and explicitly saying they're there for all women, for all women athletes. And so they've definitely taken a position and she, because of that personality, because of her, the way that she's articulated it and her lack of any willingness to back down and calm, cool and collected right in front of the president of the United States definitely puts her in a position to be at risk, but also pushing with the strength of her resolve on this issue. And I think that's really hard. I mean, I know that you've hosted multiple debates on the issue of whether or not players and athletes should be taking political positions, should be using their platform um, to advocate for things that are not necessarily directly about their performance, but in this instance right. kind of is. <laughs> um, right. and, and, you know, I think the jury is still out there. Um, there's a lot of other examples, but I think she's she's at the same risk in some ways as Colin Kaepernick and other athletes that have taken a stance on something. However, right now, like you said, uh, a much of America and the globe is in love with her. And she had a whole stadium <laughs> chanting equal pay after their win, which is pretty impressive. That shows the strength of um in interest from everybody else, but also her character in this platform. Yeah, well said. And also, you know, that equal pay chant was today at, at the Canyon of Heroes in New York City. And the one thing I will give her credit for, this is not new, her pushback against the president and her support of athlete activism that you mentioned I've discussed many times before. When Colin Kaepernick started his protest two, three years ago now, 
she was front and center uh, when the women were playing friendlies at that point. And uh, so I do give her that. This is nothing new for her. Her activism, her outfrontness, her lightning rod abilities. Uh, but it is interesting with so many personalities on that team. I read about some of the women and, of course, Alex Morgan, everyone knows, and Carly Lloyd local to uh, New Jersey, Philadelphia, this, this mid-Atlantic area. But she has, she has stood out, and she has, like you said, brought along her teammates with her. And um, I guess it sort of circles back to our main topic here, because think about this sort of equal pay and gender equity, and you go back to Title IX in the 70s. Can you imagine this happening? I mean, can you imagine a women's team and an outspoken women leader clapping back against the president in in t- 20 years ago, 10 years ago? I mean, it just seems like no. we're in a new age. So we're definitely in a new age. I think social media has provided the kind of platform that allows Megan and others to have greater access and for more people to respond to her in the ways that she's getting the responses. So she's getting a lot more people on her side, able to hear her story, see um, those quick video clips, those tweets and the the responses that she has. But I also think too, that again, you're beginning to see uh, a change in our culture around the interest of um, women athletes. Like you mentioned earlier, Serena, um, and what's happening with the U.S. Women's National Team, and a general awareness of uh, gender issues, pay equity issues among our younger generations that are allowing the general public to begin to relate to this. Um, as I said uh, earlier to one of my colleagues, they, they weren't chanting equal pay for just these women in the stadium. <laughs> they were chanting equal pay after the World Cup in this parade and I think there's that's because the crowds, the others around them are beginning to associate what those players are experiencing with their own lives. Yeah, think about that. I mean, think about the equal pay line being a chant at stadiums and parades. I mean, that is a, well, you tell me, that's a social issue, that's a gender issue, that's an equal rights issue. I mean, wow. I, that, that is definitely all of the above and also nothing I would have imagined us doing in the um, Canyon of Heroes <laughs> um, yeah. even five years ago, right? I mean, that is, that is definitely a change and an exciting one. I mean, it, that shows how pervasive this issue is. And I know I've heard different research and surveys that show that particularly among millennial women, this is the number one issue, this being equal pay, is the number one issue that they're concerned about in their careers and their lives. So there's an awareness there, and people are making a direct connection with these very uh, obvious global platform, high-performing athletes. Like, if they can't get equal pay, what about me? <laughs> How am yeah, I going to Yeah, I mean, it? that's the connection I was wanting you to make as we wrap, you know, in terms of this we're looking at a sports issue, but you talked about women of all occupations wanting, you know, this is a beacon for them, whether it's in law or business or engineering or medicine or, or beyond any, any profession. That's what you're seeing out of this, correct? Yes. And you're also seeing in the example of Megan and her teammates, 
the ability to stand up and be persistent and take whatever flack may be coming from speaking out, which you often hear from women as a big reason that they don't speak out more when they see bias or discrimination. Um, to see those women stand there and be strong and continue their message, that's something that other women are inspired by. And that's where the movement comes from. What do you think will be the lasting impact here? And, you know, it kind of goes back to where we started. Is this just a honeymoon? And will everyone sort of go back to their regular sports, which are predominantly male oriented? And, you know, uh, I, I really think that part of the answer to that is going to be what plays out with this mediation and how the, um, mm -hmm. how the, the lawsuit plays out because they, right now there's a tension on it and they're going right into the mediation now. Right. And right. so you're still seeing public attention on it. And although athletics is cyclical, particularly on the global stage, um, you are going to see people kind of following the story right now. And I think where the story goes, how the U S soccer Federation handles this, how the EEOC handles this, is where you're going to see the public continue to or not um, follow this issue. But I don't think we're going to go back to where we were 10 years ago or even five years ago. I think that this is something that's in the national consciousness now, and it's going to be addressed slowly or quickly is, I think, wh what the question is that's still out there. But it's, it's going to change in some way. Yeah, you bring up good, good points. The mediation is coming, and Jeffrey Kessler did say it was on the table to boycott these these world this World Cup. Now we can look back and say that was that would have never happened, no way. But he did say that was a discussion. And you talk about leverage. Well, I mean, right. if they were if they were going to seriously consider boycotting over equal pay and not playing, that would have been some serious uh eye blinking and stare downing um the other issue of course uh, not is just leverage go ahead platform they 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 didn't just get leverage out of the win and this amazing performance they got a platform and yeah. um so i think they made the right decision in playing from that perspective although we'll see how it plays out but um they they definitely got much more of an international and platform because of how fantastically they flew through that cup. And I think the last thing is it's, it is going to continue the honeymoon or whatever I've been referring it to because there's a tour. So, and I don't even know, frankly, who they're playing. I don't, do you, I know. <laughs> no, I don't. I did see that they were going to be touring through and I, and I, I know that people who, are supporting them and their cause and their advocacy of saying, go out, make sure you go and see them and see where they're touring. But yeah, there needs, and that gets to your earlier point about, okay, we're in love with the U S women's national team. Are we going to bring that back to women's soccer? And um, that is going to be one of the tests. Do people pick up on the tour? Do my two daughters who are eight and six, do they say, mom, I want to go see that. And I mm -hmm. want to um, show up at these games and, um, you know, be patrons, if you will. That's the question. And I do think that'll happen. And I do think that they'll, they'll show up in droves to watch these women 
And then I guess we're sort of putting off the question then. So then what? Not now what? <laughs> but then right. what? Um, when they go back to their, some play for this N NWSL, uh, you know, some people like Megan and Alex Morgan will just go on to, I'm sure, do a lot of endorsements, TV appearances, maybe host reality shows, whatever, Dancing with the Stars, who knows? But, um, <laughs> you know, this is really, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to dull the moment, obviously, but I'm just sort of raising it as a commentator and as an academic where, where this goes next. And you rightly said, let's follow the lawsuit as well. Let's follow the legal action because that might determine where this goes ultimately. Exactly. Well, I'm for one going to be watching and I know a whole bunch of other people are as well. So it's a good thing for us to be keeping our eyes on to know how persistent is this women's movement of which this is Everything that's going on with these women athletes and others is all part of this big movement that we're seeing now around gender and um, pushing for advocating for women and their advancement. Yeah, and that's why this discussion has been so great, Terry, to have you from a bigger picture point of view beyond kind of my little part of the world in sports. So I, uh, this has been great. It's really been a, a interesting and really vibrant conversation Terry Boyer, the head of the N. Walsh McNulty Institute for Gender at Villanova, my colleague. Great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much. It was great to speak with you. Hope you enjoyed that interview. That was something that I wanted to sort of get out there with so many differing opinions and so many sort of knee-jerk reactions to the U.S. women's team. I thought that'd be interesting for you to hear. A final word from betonline.ag. Some reaction. We're in the middle of it now. You know, we've just had the Women's World Cup. We've still got MLB action. We've got MLS soccer going on. Of course, these great UFC fights. Only one place gets you in on all the action, every, and you can trust them at betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account. Use that promo code PODCAST1 for your 50% welcome bonus. So, again, you got UFC, MMA, you got the World Cup just ending, but MLS is in the heart of it, and of course, Major League Baseball. How's that going to go? Don't sit on the sidelines. Get on in. Use that promo code PODCAST1, 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Hope you enjoyed that edition, another edition about the U.S. women's soccer team, which is so much in the news. I've talked to Jeffrey Kessler. I've talked about U.S. women's hockey on this program. I've talked about the Me Too movement. I just think gender and women's issues are in the forefront, not only in a sports context, but as we talked about, overall context. And we're in a different time, a different place, and I hope that this podcast is reflective of that. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports podcast. Appreciate my producer extraordinaire, Brian Neal. And please leave comments and rankings. They're always appreciated. Apple Podcasts, wherever you hear your podcasts. Obviously, appreciate those who follow me on Twitter, at Andrew Brandt. And we'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at rostucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.